Welcome to Health Tech Hustle. We exist to share stories of the brave entrepreneurs helping to solve the most important problems in digital health today. We interview top leaders in health tech and bring them onto our show each week to listen and learn from their story. With your host, Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Health Tech Hustle podcast. I'm joined today by a very special guest, Ms. Arena Schiffman. She is a content strategist and she has experience with content marketing, branding, and copywriting. So she offers a very unique perspective in this industry. And I'm excited to have her on and just learn from her and see what strategies and tactics are working in, working today. And so with that being said, Arena, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm happy to be here. No problem. So let's just jump right into it. Um, why don't you just give people a little bit of background of who you are and how you got into your area of expertise? Okay, well, I have been ghostwriting for many, many years, and more and more of my clients ended up being in the medical field, and I was fascinated by them. And so one of them, I was rebranding a therapist specializing in marriage therapy. I rebranded him the Untalk Therapist. And once we rebranded with a email funnel and a quiz and lots of landing pages, we were ready to start pitching him to a lot of radio and TV shows. And I ended up pitching him to the Dr. Nandy show, which is huge. And they ended up inviting him. He's supposed to be on next fall. So that was so exciting. And that kind of got me noticed by a pair of um, medical marketing startup founders, and they hired me to lead their content team. And so I started really specializing in health tech then. Awesome. And so you've had experience working with a bunch of healthcare companies and then started getting noticed by health tech companies and started managing the content for them. But what is a major challenge that you've seen while working, from your perspective, while working with these companies? Well, with the startups, I have to say that sometimes these executives, these founders, you know, they're programming and coding geniuses. And sometimes they're so enchanted by the technology, you know, that they're working on that they forget that in the end, that technology is going to be used to connect to humans and to convert humans, you know, and you have to convert humans through content, you know, so you have to really talk, communicate with your potential customers and you have to inform and entertain them in some way in order to gain their trust before they're going to buy anything from you. And so the challenge with some of these startups is that they are founded by people who are extremely immersed in the technical side of things. And so in order to collaborate with them, sometimes it's challenging. You have to show them a lot of research about the profound impact that content makes on attracting customers to their new platform. So that's been a challenge. And then with the actual healthcare providers, Sometimes the challenge is very, it's very similar. They are so immersed in their medical specialty that they want to explain every detail, you know, every scientific biochemical reaction right away. And I slowly ease them into the reality that 
your audience is maybe not prepared for that level of technical knowledge right off the bat. And so we start with an emotive call to action and then slowly we feed them the scientific knowledge behind their condition or their treatment you know, that we're describing. And so that's a challenge to help balance out these partners in the process sometimes. But I've done it. <laughs> and believe me, when you get over that challenge, beautiful things happen. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, I mean, I guess I know exactly what you're talking about when it comes to healthcare and technology, because there's very smart people in these industries. And what they often get caught in is the knowledge curse, where on a scale of one to 10, <laughs> they're trying to explain everything at a level 10, but most of their market only understands about a level two. And so you're trying right. to bridge that gap, right? <laughs> exactly. How can you simplify your message? and it digestible for the average consumer. Yes, exactly. And, you know, if the consumer gains your trust, they will stay with you and they will stay with your content long enough to get to the science gradually, right? But if you don't attract them through emotive language first, they'll never get to the end of the webinar or whatever where they learn the science. So you're absolutely right. It's a challenge and it's a that's why we have to have the soft skills, right? <laughs> definitely, <laughs> to, uh, definitely. Communicate with those genius minds. So can you kind of speak to the importance of content marketing when it comes into health tech? You kind of mentioned it before, just trying to get your brand out there and simplify your message. But what role does content marketing really play in the overall strategy of trying to connect with your audience and connect with your customers? Well, it's huge, especially in healthcare, because such an intimate thing that we're selling and promoting, you know, it's such an intimate thing. And I think people from all the research I've done, especially when I wrote up the marketing plan for that startup I mentioned, what I discovered is that, you know, Deloitte every year, Deloitte does a projection, a a huge projection of that year, what's going to change in the industry. And the one thing they found is that people now are so savvy about doing their own research. They do not, the first step when they have a condition or a concern is not finding a doctor. That, that's not the first step. It's doing their own research first. So as you know, everybody's on social, everybody's in these online communities. The first thing they'll do is read about their condition from a trustworthy source, and then they will get on some sort of platform or chat room where they can interact with other patients who have been through the same condition. Only after they do that, you know, and have tried their own sort of remedies, or then they start looking for a healthcare practitioner. So that's a huge challenge is to earn their trust with the content first. So if you have a platform, you're going to offer a lot of free content first, right? I'll give you an example with the marriage counselor who ended up getting on the Dr. Nandy show. We started with a simple quiz on his website. How far are you from the dead zone? How far is your marriage from the dead zone? People took that quiz. That quiz then led them to a free webinar which I had to rewrite to make it very emotive and give specific case studies that people could relate to. And then once people were excited that they could save their marriage, right, for example, they then at the end of the webinar, then they signed up for the course. Okay. So that's how important content is, is 
if you connect, if you offer something valuable at no cost and people begin to trust you and believe in your material, they will end up returning and buying your either content or your product or service. So it's very, I think, very important in health tech. Okay. So you take more of an inbound approach, just trying to build that trust and build that relationship in the beginning by being able to provide that valuable knowledge and information. And so when you're working with these companies, after hearing you speak right now, it seems like most of the content you're making is directly to the consumers and towards the patients who have these conditions. No, not not only that, that is some of my clients require that, but I have also done a lot of B2B content. Okay. Yeah. That was my next question. Like yes. what would be the difference in creating content for B2C versus B2B? And is there a difference in mindset and strategy and how you're going about presenting the information? Oh, absolutely. So I'll give you a perfect example. I was working with a client, TA Sciences. They are a, a supplement manufacturer and they had done years of research on this brain supplement. Fascinating work, just fascinating. And they were now ready to distribute it to doctors all over the country who then were going to need a way to help them sell it to their patients, right? So the company asked me to write up a content plan. I wrote up a two-pronged content plan, one that was B2C and one that was B2B. And basically, this was everything from landing pages to e-blast newsletters to ads. And when you are speaking with actual healthcare practitioners, of course, you're going to be able to elevate the language a bit, right? You have to have a lot of evidence-based content, okay? Credible sources. You need to do a lot of citations of clinical studies, The company had done one of their own clinical trials as well, which had been published in medical journals. So when I was writing, for example, the newsletters for the actual practitioners who were going to become partners, I had to cite these clinical trials, the most recent ones, and I could actually leave in the content, I could leave quotes from the study because these doctors could read it and understand it as is. And I think that they would trust that language more versus, okay, on the customer side for the customer newsletters, which then we sold, we sold that whole content plan to each practitioner, right? And then they would email that out to their customers. So with that content for the customers, I literally, I translated the technical material. I tried to find, you know, metaphors or case studies or just, simplify the language in explaining how this supplement actually works on your brain. And I always start a customer piece with a case study, a case study that they can relate to. Maybe this has happened to you or somebody you know, right? And then you go from a case study that they can envision and imagine and maybe have even lived through. And you slowly then back that up with a little bit of science you know, in simplified language, explaining how the supplement works. And then at the end, you always refer, because some of these readers do want to delve deeper. There are a lot of customers who want to, then you will always give them that opportunity by then linking to a clinical trial if they want to go, you know, but you do not put that scientific language inside the body. 
of the content for the customers. For the doctors, yes. And the other thing I found that when you're writing for doctors, (laughs) you should always try to cite influencers in their field because all those doctors, obviously, think about this, they all someday want to, they would love to be an influencer. And they would love to be associated with these prominent MDs, you know, who are very well known and who have New York Times bestsellers, you know. And so when they see a name like that associated with a product or a company, that gets them to open the email. (laughs) So, you know, it's just the fact. Everybody has egos and they want to be associated with that. So I always try to reach out for my clients to influencers and you know how big influencer marketing is so in their field and i if possible i try to use those names you know to our benefit and so far it it has worked for doctors definitely okay awesome yeah so it's like doctors they like to have that authority and by doing that you're kind of working on their branding and authority in their Mm -hmm. field as well and so mm-hmm. I mean, that's an interesting perspective on your, your take and your process for producing content for B2B compared to B2C and like the differences. Because I feel like when you're doing B2B, there's a lot more research and there's a lot more, I mean, high level knowledge that you have to go in and learn. Yep. So from the content creator standpoint, when it's something that you don't know and you have to go research it, how's that process? Is it pretty difficult to learn the new information? and interpret that in a way that you can effectively communicate with other people? Or yeah, it, it can be challenging. You're, yeah, you're absolutely right. It can be challenging. But, you know, when you have enough sources, and that's something I did at a startup where I was managing a content team, the first thing I did is created a brand manual. And then after that, I taught the writers how to follow the brand manual. And then we created a resource guide. And we just I mean, I just spent a week just looking up sources for these writers. And I think that you become more confident when you have a lot of sources and you start finding one that you prefer, that you, you know, that the language makes more sense to you or the way they structure the journal, you know, makes more sense to you. Once you find that go-to list of a few sources, I think you become more confident as a writer. And then also you just, you can't be afraid if you don't understand a clinical trials conclusion, reach out to the people who wrote it. They love to talk about their work. So yeah, if you have to, if it's hard to understand, you just reach out, have them try to explain to you. And then sooner or later, you'll come up with a, you know, some kind of you know, metaphor or image, or even just a case study about how the body works so that people first can envision it, you know? And sooner or later, if you talk to these experts, it's interesting. If you talk to them long enough, very often they will come up with that image for you. Okay. Just by trying to like explain in layman's terms. And so Mm -hmm. that's really like the value of the content, right? Is by being able to interpret this information and turn it into a metaphor or story that relates to people and doesn't overwhelm them with the technical information, but is able to tap into the emotional side of how are they feeling. So that's interesting. I mean, yeah, and just and, and educate them on a, on a level that they can remember what that product does to their body. You know, not overwhelm them with details, but something that they'll remember, like a catchphrase that they can then tell their friend, oh, I ordered this supplement because this is what it does for your brain or whatever. You know, it's 
it's something that's repeatable. I think if it's repeatable, you're good because people are going to talk about it. People are going to talk about that content then, you know, if they can repeat it. Awesome. And so I already heard you mention that you've worked with a content team before. And so I know in marketing, it's very important. You can't wear all hats at the same time. So can you kind of speak to what kind of team would be ideal to have put together when it comes to marketing or when it comes to content creation? Oh, content creation. Yes. I think what I've learned by not having this (laughs) is how important collaboration is between the actual, the programmers. So the front end programmers, the designers and the writers. It's very important. And then the, the marketing managers who actually send out the content to the clients. So to the doctors or to the patients, if those four people aren't cooperating and believe me, I've seen this. So I know then it's going to flop because it all, it's a synergy. All those elements work together. So if the front end developer doesn't understand why the designer needs something done, you know, and if the content writer and the designer don't talk and don't design together, right. Mm -hmm. Then all that writing that I do and that my team does might never get read if it's not presented in a form that is palatable and easy and user experience friendly, as you know, right? So it's all about user experience. And it's also, so that's why the programmer, the designer and the writer have to work together. And then the marketing manager who is tracking all this, right? Has to constantly be giving feedback on, well, how is this content how is it succeeding? You know, and um, I'll give you an example. When I first came to this startup, all clients were sent one e-blast, and I thought this can't be it. The marketing managers kept complaining. Hey, you know what? Every week, some client quits. Some doctor says, "I don't want that service anymore. I don't want the e-blast. I don't want the social media anymore." And I said, "Well, let's sit down and look at this." So we looked at literally nearly a hundred clients. Okay. Over the last couple of years. And I looked at all of them and analyzed what their specialties were. Right. Well, turns out they fell into about three different categories of specialties. And of course they were rejecting content that had nothing to do with what, with what their job involves. Right. Mm -hmm. So the marketing manager wasn't communicating that wasn't communicating. Okay. Who is quitting and why? You know, they weren't getting that information. Had they told the content team, this is who's quitting and and they're telling us why, then they would have thought of this idea long ago. Let's segment the content. We have our clients fall into three groups. We need to write content targeting those three kinds of medical specialties. And once we did that, guess what? Within a month, people stopped quitting because they were seeing themselves valuable information in their content. So I came and found that, but had those uh, departments been communicating all along, they would have never gotten into that problem. So just as one example. Awesome. And so if you really think about it, you're segmenting out the content because a company doesn't just have one target audience or one buyer persona. And by communicating at Mm -hmm. a high level and between all departments, you're able to communicate hey, this is 
who we're targeting for this campaign, or this is who we're targeting for this campaign, and this is the kind of content that we need to create. Um, but without that communication, then you're kind of just everyone's working individually rather than a team. Yep, exactly, exactly. And all the companies I see that succeed, they are constantly communicating. There's interdepartmental communication, and everybody is sharing the data. Everybody is concerned when a client quits or, you know, cancels a certain service, everybody knows about it. And then they can troubleshoot. Why did this happen? So it's, it's all communication, you know? Awesome. And so kind of leads me into the next question because communication is key. I know a lot of health tech companies, they focus on like their main platform and the main software that mm -hmm. they're offering to the public, but what sort of tools on the back end do you find most effective when it comes to communication, for example, or other forms of managing content? Well, I mean, how to manage it? Yeah. So like just what sort of tools would you use as a content strategist and like tools to communicate, for example, just to keep everyone on the same page? Oh, okay. Well, there's the agile system with the scrums, the daily scrums is a very good system. It's kind of tough to keep up at first, but you get used to having those scrum meetings every morning. And by using the agile system, I think that the different departments become less intimidated with each other's specialties because they're interacting and they're sharing. It's like, and then you learn a little bit about, you know, the writers, for example, learn about SEL. That's, that's one of the things I instigated. I came in to a company once, the startup, and they were having the SEO director, get this, researching the keyword phrases, the SEO, you know, long-tailed keyword phrases, researching them and just inputting them into a form, right? And then sending that form to the writers. Well, first of all, that's inefficient for everybody's time, but also content-wise, if you're the writer and you're going to be weaving the keyword phrases into the content, shouldn't you be the one finding them? It only makes sense because you know every single angle, every single keyword phrase motive that a user might type in to land on your page. And there's more than one reason. They may have no idea about the treatment you're writing about, but they know what their problem is. And they know what, let's, for example, they may know a more traditional treatment for their condition, let's say. And let's say they're trying to find that first. If we know as writers what the traditional treatment is versus what our alternative treatment is that we're trying to market for our client, we're going to go ahead and use the keywords for the other treatment that more people already know about in the content right? Whereas an SEO guy, I mean, an SEO director might not know that about content. They're busy doing SEO on site as well as content, right? They should give the writers the opportunity. And that's what I suggested. And it was finally approved by the CEO. And so um, all of my writers were trained to use keywords everywhere which was a tool that used to be free until last uh, May, I believe. Anyway, and so the SEO director trained all the writers to do this. And at first they resisted. <laughs> like, why do we have to do more work? But in the end, it was very clear, I think, to them how important that was. And we ended up finding very interesting keyword phrases to weave in that were just 
not as uh, obvious. You know what I mean? Not as obvious. And so that's just one example of using tools and learning new tools from other departments when you are communicating on a regular basis. Nice. So, I mean, from a content creator standpoint, having an SEO tool is super valuable to be able to get a deeper understanding and find new opportunities and new ways to present your information and get that out there. Absolutely. And so while you're talking, I actually was thinking of another question because throughout this conversation, you mentioned a lot of different types of content that you can create, whether it's newsletters, ads, landing pages, or webinars. But if you're starting out in with your health tech company, is there one strategy that you would focus on first when trying to connect to your consumers and then try to move them down through the funnel? I think everybody would say research, 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 do your homework first. I think everybody would agree. Uh, writing the business plan, for example, for a startup really taught me so much about how consumers seek out this information and also why they do or don't follow up on the valuable recommendations that they research. It's very interesting when and how people actually follow up on their health issues, you know? And so doing that big picture research is so important. Going to see what the predictions are in the industry, looking at the numbers, like what kind of healthcare practitioners are starting to attract more consumers. Boom. When you find out what's happening, what used to be called CAM, which is complementary and alternative medicine is really no longer so alternative. It's really shifting, huge shift in the last, I would say 10 years, what used to be considered, you know, woo-woo, alternative and not covered by insurance is now becoming mainstream. For example, the biggest example I can think of is acupuncture. I mean, I can, 10 years ago, your regular MD would be like laughing and, oh yeah, whatever, Chinese medicine, yeah, right. Well, guess what? Now, major medical institutions, some of the top in the country, have entire floors. Hospitals have entire floors just dedicated to pain management. And number one, bookings, acupuncture. And now it is covered by insurance. Just 10, 15 years ago, insurance companies would have laughed you out of the water, you know? So it's just that's just one example of how what used to be considered CAM. Or integrative medicine is another term very similar, which integrates all of your bodily systems instead of just focusing on one. Because Western medicine for most of its history has taught medical students that you are a specialist. You are an ears, nose, and throat specialist. And that's all you care about, right? You are a heart specialist. You are an OB-GYN. Well, that's changing because the reality is that all of these systems in our bodies work together synergistically. And so you need to look at the whole person. That's why it's called integrative medicine. How do we integrate all of our bodily systems? And I think there's a huge disruption in the industry, which is why I got so excited about working in it and started specializing in it because I just find it's a fascinating time in healthcare, not to mention what we're going through now <laughs> with uh, you know our first extreme, this coronavirus wake up call here it's going to disrupt the industry even more. And it's going to make us look at how integrated everything is and how connected we all are. So the strategy, going back to the strategy is 
look up all this research first. Find out what the big picture is and the trends and try to project what people are going to want in the near future and then in the far future. And so after this whole craziness is over, there'll be a lot more research to do. Again, I think people are going to be looking for healthcare in a whole new way after this. Awesome. Awesome. So it's very interesting because I mean, as the content strategies, you have to do a lot of research, especially if that's not your area of expertise and you didn't go to school for years to study something special in this field, right? So you have to do a lot of research so you can understand the information that they're presenting. And so you provide a unique perspective because you've worked with these doctors, you've worked with companies in healthcare and health tech. And so what sort of advice would you have for others who are trying to get into health tech and that are trying to grow a company or create content? Don't do it alone. Reach out, get a mentor. I think I, when I was younger and so many people starting out, like, I'm going to do this alone. I'm going to get this done, you know? And um, you end up wasting energy and making more mistakes than you had to. If you reach out to a mentor, somebody who's done what you've done before, first, observe, learn, even offer to work for free to get some knowledge about a certain industry or to get portfolio samples if you're on the creative side. I did that many, many years ago. I reached out. I said, hey, looks like you need landing pages on your website or it looks like you need a bio, you know, because a lot of these people are really good at what they do, but not at content, not at writing about what they do at all. So reaching out, getting a mentor, getting some samples under your belt, you know, it's like some, I've seen people try to start companies or apps or something before they've ever even shadowed someone else who's done it or been out in the field and gotten their hands dirty. And I think, wow, this is going to be interesting to see what happens with this one, you know, because you really do, you have to get out and get your hands dirty. And if that means sometimes working for free a little bit or just following somebody through their day or reading up on their mistakes, why not learn from somebody else's mistakes first, you know, before you make them yourself? Yeah, definitely. Awesome. That's some great advice. <laughs> um, so we're coming up towards the end of the podcast and I want to end on a more lighter note, a little exercise I like to call the rapid fire round, where I'll ask you a couple questions and then you just give me the first answer that you think of. Okay. Awesome. So question number one, what is your favorite book of all time? Oh, God, it's so hard. Okay. I'm going to have to say The Elegance of the Hedgehog by Muriel Barbary. Just the beauty of that book and the eye-opening fact that the most interesting, intelligent, and creative people are sometimes hidden in the shadows of society and that you have to keep your eyes open to find them because they can change your life. I mean, that's what I got out of that book. And I, I can read that book over and over. It is just beautifully written. Awesome. So who's the most influential person in your life or career? Life would be probably my father. Rest in peace. Almost lived to 100 and taught me to be yourself and don't care what other people think or do. He used to always say, be the sun, not the satellite that revolves around the sun. Be the sun. So that's my life. And for career, I think who really got me to have confidence to follow a career in writing would be Julia Cameron, the famous author of The Artist's Way which 
magically is still popular 25 years later. I mean, that says something. People are still reading the artist's way. So Julia, I actually was lucky enough to have a workshop with Julia years ago. She doesn't even do workshops anymore because her books are best-selling. But she, I think, enables people to believe in themselves enough to shut out all the voices in their heads, criticizing them and telling them that they're not good enough or they can't do this, you know? And 25 years ago, I needed that. And she provided that. And I'm very thankful for her and her book. I'm about to check that out. What is one goal you want to accomplish this year? I would love to make time for some of my creative writing again. The kind of writing I used to do when I wrote lyrics for jazz singers and screenplays and try to get back to creative writing as well. Because what I've learned is you can write, write, write for work. But if you get out of touch with the creative storyteller, then your paid work suffers. I've noticed that because many of my clients have used one word to describe me. Over 20 years, it's creative, right? And how can I be creative? How can I continue being creative if I don't refill that, that jug, you know? So you need to refill and refresh your creativity with completely, you know, non-tech, non-work related stuff. And believe me, that will transfer into your client's workload. Absolutely. Gotcha. Last one. What is one piece of advice you would give to your 20-year-old self? (laughs) Take chances. Ah. Keep up with technology and don't stop laughing. Don't take yourself too seriously. That's awesome. I think that's a perfect way to end today's podcast. Irina, I really want to thank you for jumping on today and just sharing your knowledge. Thank Um, you. Thank you for inviting me. It's been fun. I learned a lot from the content strategy and content marketing perspective of business and just the importance of being able to simplify your knowledge and really just present information that's digestible to readers and just the difference in creating content for B2B versus B2C and the different types of tools you can use to supplement your expertise and really just the importance of communicating with your team and finding a mentor to help with um, stuff that you don't know and just being smart enough to know what you don't know. Yeah, exactly. You said it. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I appreciate you coming on and sharing your knowledge. Is there anything that you want to share with people and where can people find you at? Well, the best thing to do is to look me up on LinkedIn, Arena Schiffman on LinkedIn and just send me a message and I can send you a password to my portfolio. And in that portfolio, you may see yourself. You may see somebody that resembles you or reflects your needs because there are a lot of case studies on there. So um, once you see those, you might be sparked and I would love to help you in any way that I can to develop your content and convert your customers. Awesome. Well, thanks for hopping on today's podcast. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's episode of Health Tech Hustle with Rodney Hu, founder of 209 Digital. Tune in next week for another interview with an expert leader in digital health.